Okay, welcome back to our Fate of Midgard game, Stranded in the Southlands. I'm your Game Master Porter, and we have our regular players tonight, Aaron and Tiffany. Go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Aaron, and I play Eleanor Westergaard, and she is a human, and she is a beguiling magical slayer. Um, her trouble is venom in my veins, and then her other aspects include fantastical facades, Westergaard family business, and lady on a mission. She has her two gear aspects, which is um, a vampiric dagger and then her fancy whip. Tonight, I'm going to be starting out with only two fate points. I normally have three, but I used one last game and we are not doing a refresh. I also have a moderate consequence depleted, so let's hope that doesn't come into play. Um, and then I think it's worth mentioning that we have only nine figs left. Very good. Tiffany. I play Mira Barkridge. She is a well-meaning, eccentric, earthen enchantress. Her trouble is does not kill. And the um, other aspects she has are horticulture for hire, herbalist hobbyist. She is the caretaker of the figs. She has a growing discomfort of I miss my grove and two gear aspects, the winter court dagger and the newly crafted staff of summer flame. Awesome. So it's been a couple weeks since we played last. So let's do a quick recap of. Sorry, before we do that, um, Mira, do you want to tell them how many fate points oh. you have? And then also about your consequence that you had. Uh, I, ha I did not spend any, and so I have five fate points remaining, and I have a newly healed um, moderate consequence of charred hands. So at uh, that which point, I believe... does it go to exhausted, or does it just go away? So, um, consequences. So here's how consequences work in fate. When you have a consequence, uh, it has a... You have to pass your healing trigger, which depending on the level, it might just be uh, time passing or it might require a roll. So moderate, you both have had moderate consequences. Those require a, uh, a healing point generally or some kind of rest, some sort of trigger, um, which is usually a roll. And then it sticks around for a whole session. So Mira's was triggered by uh, when you crafted the staff. It was sticking around all through last session. So now that that is done, you begin the session and your hands are now better. So it doesn't move down to a lower slot. It is just gone. So it spent one session kind of still hanging around. You get, you took on your depleted moderate consequence last time. We're going to have you do a, uh, a recovery roll at the beginning of this session. And assuming that you succeed at that, then you will stick around or then it'll stick around for this session and be gone if that fails then it will you then you can try again next session so consequences can potentially hang around for a while and severe consequences hang around for like an arc they're a big deal i did not know this when i took on that moderate consequence <laughs> <laughs> well i've been trying to get consequences on you guys for a while but apparently combat is really hard to do it and it's just better to get you in it through you know Story hooks. <laughs> All right. So, little bit of a recap from last time. Um, Tiffany, do you want to start us off with a quick bit of recap from last time? 
Sure. So the uh, time on the road has allowed Eleanor and Mira to have the uh, necessary conversation about our approaches to the face-off with the were-tigers. And um, Eleanor was feeling, and, and feel free to clarify, um, she was feeling like there was now this sense of burden of brutality on her part if Mira had really shown her colors and turned out to be the pacifist she showed to be and let Nakumba go when she didn't feel like he would have been better handled, dispatched. And so wondering if that puts undue pressure on Eleanor to be this brutal enforcer where Mira won't stand up. And Mira defended her actions and um, uh, just reinforced to Eleanor her value in mercy, but also assured her that she is a defender above all else and she would do whatever it took to defend the life's worth saving, the life's worth taking was still is still up for debate <laughs> and to be handled however it may come um but it was an interesting sort of heart to heart and i think we learned a lot about ourselves and each other through that conversation i agree i thought it was a very it was a conversation that needed to happen and yeah it, i agree with everything you said <laughs> um and so after that uh, Mira and Eleanor were on different watches as we kind of made our way throughout the desert. And Mira, would, Mira has a better focus, much better <laughs> focus than Eleanor. And she kept feeling like we were being followed, like she was seeing things. And it turned out that we were being followed by the Moroti warriors, or no, scouts. Scouts, the yeah, scouts of the Moroti Empire, which is the dragon folk. Right. And so they were following us, and we discovered that, and uh, we felt that they were going to attack. And so Eleanor went to the priestess, who we had seen doing some rituals um, with her followers, and Eleanor basically asked her if she would help her do a ritual to veil the entire caravan so that the scouts would not find us. And that is where Eleanor's consequence came in because we did this big ritual that took a couple hours and right in the nick of time, we veiled the entire caravan and we escaped from the scouts. And they kept pursuing you through the, through the, the, the night and into the next day. And you eventually were able to shake them sufficiently. And you, we, we are now kind of fast forwarding towards the end of the next day. You've been on the road and you are now approaching Paranu. So we will pick up with the, uh, it, it's getting into the late afternoon. Every you the caravan kind of traveled for the morning, rested in the middle the heat of the midday, and then you always kind of pick up and move again through the afternoon into the into the evening until it gets too dark, and then you make camp again. That's kind of been your pattern. Because this is the desert and it's brutal during the day. So 
It is late afternoon now, and you are headed into an area that has gotten progressively rockier and hillier instead of kind of sandy and dooney. And up ahead, you see kind of a ring of kind of craggy cliffs that sort of arc around to the right. Um, and, uh, and then there's some, uh, very steep hills on the left side. And it's sort of the whole, the whole thing kind of presents a landscape that makes it the most natural move for, for the caravan to sort of arc around to the left and move around these big obstacles. And everyone comes to a halt and you are at the front of the caravan with Kareem, the caravan leader, and the high priestess of Anu Akma that you met last time, who I've named Shalabi. And the two of them are at the front. Shalabi is actually um, uh, sitting on a camel. Normally she has been in a wagon of her own, so it's unusual that she is out with you. This is like the first time in the travels that she's actually traveling not in her wagon. And... So she is up at the front with Kareem. He's sitting there. One hand, he's sitting on his own camel. and One hand is kind of resting across his his firm round belly. And the other hand is sort of scratching his big bushy black beard. And he goes, well, Shalabi, can you do it this time? She looks at him with a, with a, a uh, superior smile. And uh, of course... I will do the honors. And she takes out a scroll, opens it up, and it looks like it's very, very thin papyrus. And you can see uh, a bunch of forms and words written on it. You can't get a good enough look to actually read anything on it, but you can just see generally what she's looking at. And then she just sort of nods, rolls it up, and uh, brushes one of the... uh, strands of her her coiled hair out of her out of her face tucks it back behind her ear and then puts the scroll back in her in a uh in a bag on her camel and then she closes her eyes holds out her arms and her uh her sleeves are big and billowy gold cloth that sort of fall down to her elbows and she chants in a language that you guys have never heard but it sounds vaguely familiar but you don't actually understand anything but it almost seems like you should maybe it might be like an ancient version of the language of of uh the the common tongue in the southlands but uh you can't quite understand anything but it feels familiar but as she's chanting suddenly you see the crags in front of you and the, and the hills fade from sight and in its place is a big old city that you would have just naturally walked around following the curvature of the of the um of the terrain and in front of you are the imposing walls of Paranu. So not only is it really hard to find and see in the first place, but it is uh protected by big thick um not pure white but sort of a grayish stone pale walls pale gray stone walls and along the top is a uh similar to a crenellation but very tall and spiky columns 
lining the top of the, the wall, and each column is bright crimson. And it rings the whole wall. But the wall is, Im is this imposing sort of off-white gray slab in front of you. And then there's this enormous timber doors uh, at the gate that are bright crimson as well. Um, and over Paranu, the sky above is this swirling, not swirling, but this big, thick, gray cloud cover sitting on top of the city. And uh, Karim yells out a command and the whole caravan starts moving again. And Shalabi nods to the two of you and uh, turns to head back to her camel. She stops and uh, touches Eleanor on the arm. How are you feeling? I am, I am exhausted, but I am very, very happy to, to be here. Excellent. Welcome to Paranu. Stay safe. This is not a city to be, uh, f this is not a city that rewards the frivolous. Be careful. Thank you. She nods and she, uh, continues back to her wagon, gets back in her wagon for the rest of the ride. So I, I have a quick mechanics sure. question, or I guess a more like an, a lore question. And depending on your answer, I might want to ask her a question before mm. she disappears. Um, is the veil that she lifted over the city? Because we were told that, like, unless you are tapped into the energy of the undead, it's hard to find. Like, there's some kind of like you wouldn't notice in the periphery of your perception kind of thing. So the veil that she lifted, is that sort of uh, an illusion that Peranu puts up as like a keeping outsiders unaware of its presence? Or is that like a convenience thing that she just made it easier for the caravan to move through because she just like basically shined her brights on it? Uh, is it evident? Maybe I guess asking from your this, perspective. This is, is a great evident? question for you to ask her. Okay. Um, just... I was asked the question. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't really know. You, this is kind of in a realm of stuff that you're not super familiar with. So, yeah, that this is a great question for you to ask her. Yeah. As so, she's passing so she, by you. Yeah, so she's – she's because obviously I didn't bring a whole lot to the table when she and Eleanor bonded over magic. And so she's walking right on past me. And so I I reach out and just sort of, like, return sort of the arm touch that she touched to Eleanor. But, like, yeah. at, like, half pressure. Like, sure. I just wanted to make – I want her to know I'm there, but I don't want to like presume any level of like comfort. I don't want to offend or anything by mm -hmm. saying like, um, uh, excuse me, if you don't mind my asking, um, what, what did you lift? What, what is it that, that obscured Peranu from, from our perception? What exactly, uh, cast itself over the city? Is it something that you lifted or? Is it something that the city itself protects from outsiders? So she, she uh, as the caravan starts moving forward, she kind of turns and she aligns her camel with you and walks alongside you for a, for a few minutes while she gives the explanation. Peranu is permanently cloaked in one of the most powerful veils that we know of. 
And it I is... I perk up at this as well. And, hmm. It Males, is... Males, you say? Yes. <laughs> it is permanently in effect. But those who have a close association with death, whether because they are undead or because they are in the surface of our Lord Anuakma, or because they have taken many lives, those who are closely aligned with death will find that the veil lifts as they get close enough to the gates, and they will see the city for what it is. Doing so requires you to walk uncomfortably close to the illusion of the cliffs that you saw in front of us. So most people never do. What I did was basically present a key that is well known among the Embalmer's Guild in order to make it easy on all of the participants so that they don't have to walk blindly and trustingly towards a cliff face. That's what I just did. The illusion is still in place for anyone outside of our immediate vicinity. I have not removed the veil. I've simply allowed us to pass through it. If you ever leave the city and come back, good luck. It's difficult to enter easily. Even if you've been here before, you'll find that the terrain is never, is, the terrain is never quite the same twice. It's always subtly shifting, but it's always imposing, and it always makes you inclined to go around and look elsewhere. I've made this trek multiple times. I'm familiar with it, and I'm attuned to its effect. That is fascinating. Isn't it? It is. I think this is a marvelous city. She takes so a big breath. Like she's savoring the scent. There's, I none of you notice anything, but she exhales. <sighs> Very satisfied. Eleanor, so here to uh, to witnesses who see our were we not so brilliantly veiled entirely? Would it would it look to a witness to our entry into the city that the caravan itself? willingly descended over the edge of the cliff? Uh, more that you walk through the cliff face or into perhaps a slot canyon that they couldn't easily see. It's, it's a very clever magic, and people will usually see something that makes some amount of sense. You're not walking off an edge or walking into a, a structure, and it seems that I've never... You know, to be honest, I've never tested this theory, but I, I think you would probably have the impression of someone walking into the cliffs and the hills through some passageway that wasn't readily apparent from your angle. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it would just look like we're walking through a wall and be rather startling. Maybe one of these days I'll try it, but I haven't had the patience. Well, either way, our the clarity you've provided is is appreciated, and um, and I I think it's brilliant. Um, I, as you know, um, have started to tinker with veils. Yes. And you're saying that this is one of the most 
powerful, most clever veils that you know of. Certainly that I have seen. Uh, are you familiar with how to create this? Veils are not... Veils are not particularly part of my part of my study, so no. Um, I simply have been given the keys through my work with the Embalmers Guild to pass through this particular veil, and the other night you provided all of the expertise regarding the veil. I simply provided the amplifier for the effect mm. through my through our ritual that we crafted together. Frankly, I couldn't do that ritual alone if my life depended on it. Would you say that the veil over the city was the work of a single master craftsman of the skill, or is this something that took place over time, being charged up by, you know, many years of rituals? And I'm wondering in our time in Perenu, if there is perhaps someone who we could gain an education from on such a feat of magic. I would love to learn more about this and add, add this to my arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. Um, no one that I have spoken to knows definitively when the veil was placed on the city. I suspect it has something to do with the rise of power of the god King Irsu when he rose in um, in his afterlife. But his history is shrouded in rumor and legend, and it's very hard to parse what is real and what is story. He is quite the figure, and he himself is one of the most powerful one of the most powerful wizards in the realm now that being said there are also many many powerful practitioners in the city this is a city that attracts necromancers and is the headquarters of the embalmers guild and it's also the headquarters of the red portal wizards of which God King Irsu is the chief. There is also another group, the Ancient Order of Tomb Keepers, and they are actually not associated with the Embalmers Guild at all. They specialize in purification, in preservation, and in sometimes the animation of the, of the dead. And uh, these are all, these are two major powers within the city of Perinu. Now. She is speaking Eleanor's lingo hardcore <laughs> right there, now. There is no society that I'm aware of that specializes in veils, but I would imagine that there are probably, there are probably some specialists in the city who are charged with the upkeep of whatever is powering the protections on this city. I don't know enough about it. You'd have to investigate further. But I guarantee you there are probably some very powerful illusionists in this city. There are very powerful wizards of nearly any stripe in this city. Peranu and Nuria are the magical centers of the Southlands, and they 
well, we like to think that they rival Bimia in the north, but that's arguable. Anyway, I must get back to my wagon. I have things to attend to. I hope the two of you have appropriate protections in the city. Be very careful. Yes, we've taken we've taken precautions. Good. What if I might ask, what have you procured? We have some wards of protection against negative in energy. Good. Good. Do you understand what that means? And what it doesn't? From an academic perspective, we only know so much as we've been told. Perhaps you seem to be an expert on the subject. And perhaps if you took a look at what we've got, if you could let us know sort of the extent of the protections we walk in the door with, so we may know what we may need to reinforce. May I see one of, on your, one of your wards? I take off my necklace and just kind of... She takes a look and... Show her. She uh, she takes a moment, she pulls a little crystal out of a package and kind of holds it up and circles around it and nods and hands it back to you. Yes, I see. Um, this is very similar to what I wear here. She holds up a ring. Here's what that will do. That will protect you against the draining effects of many of the centers of of power within the city where the very energy that permeates the building will drain your life force away it would also protect you against the for example the draining touch of a wraith sucking your life force a vampire will still chew your throat out and a ghoul will still gut you so it does not provide physical protection against injury from the undead do not Please do not think that it will do that. But it will protect you from the draining effects of many undead, and there are quite a few centers within the city where your mere presence there would drain your energy away to power what is going on there. Uh, what would some of those places be that we should be on the lookout for? I, she, she shrugs her shoulders and waves her hand. The many-pillared palace, for instance, is so permeated with the power of undead, and many of its attendants are are ghosts and wraiths and shadows that just simply being there will sap your energy. I never go there, isn't, ever. Isn't that where God King Ursu resides? Yes. Well, that is our whole purpose. Then it is damn good that you have these necklaces. Oh, Never take them off. Do not let anyone see them. I would cover them if you can. Oh. Creatures here are familiar with these sorts of protections, and they will seek to remove them and once they realize you have them. This is a city like of sophisticated, intelligent predators. Be cautious. Thank and you. stick to places where you see other humans for your own safety. Would they be able to tell if I were to disguise Mira and myself as not human, 
would that make a difference? Or would they be able to sense our energy, our life force? Disguise as in... As in glamorous. Oh. Oh, I see it, what you mean. That makes sense. He appeared visibly yes. to be of the previously living. That if the... our living status would be perceivable by those who seek to absorb it. That depends entirely on the creature, but many of them would recognize the difference. It may not be, it would probably confuse them. Would they be able to sense if we were not dead, but we weren't wholly alive? I'm I'm sorry, it, I, I have no idea. It probably depends greatly on exactly how you did it on it, and exactly on who is observing you. I'm very sorry, it's not my area of specialty. One other question. How are vampires perceived in this city? Oh, there are there are plenty. Do you know um what nest the vampires in Peranu belong to or what leaders they follow? Uh I know that in Perbastet they follow uh the Lady Lashra, but I'm not sure if her presence is, is much up here. I know that I have heard of Lady Alasha, but I've never heard her name uttered in this city. Um, I don't associate with the vampires in Peranu. <laughs> if you'll forgive me, I don't know much about them. So y you'll have to investigate if you dare. I try to avoid them. Yes. But they are here and they are one of several groups. What you'll mostly find in Paranu is that there are many, there are many Darakul, the living intelligent ghouls. Are you familiar with them? They don't have much of a presence elsewhere in Nuria. We've never met one. Ah. The Darakul have an entire empire underneath the ground across all of our land and the lands to the north. They are a sleeping force to be reckoned with, and they are realizing the power they wield. Many of them live above land in places that are welcoming to them. Peranu is such a place. They are... Well, they, they feed on the flesh of living beings and... Much like we do, but they prefer the flesh of intelligent beings. Apparently it tastes much better or is more satisfying or... I don't know. It's disgusting. But they feed on humans if they have the opportunity. And there are gangs of Darakul running around Paranu. Humans in Paranu are a minority. Most of us are associated with the, the Embalmers Guild. Many of them are wizards of one stripe or priests of one stripe or another so the darakul are cautious but a human walking around the city that is not obviously wielding power or status of some kind is asking for trouble as you can see she points up and you see as you guys are now starting to get really close to the the crimson gate um and you're now underneath the deep dark cloud cover that covers the city that, she points up to the dark clouds, never leaves. 
So creatures that are otherwise uncomfortable in the daylight, such as kobolds, darakul, shadowfey, most undead, are never bothered by the sunlight in this city. They're... You will never see the sunlight in Paranu. There's shadowfey in the city? I know there's some. I don't know any. Okay, thank you. Sidebar, you have been given the reference of one. Oh. Remember, Malfo gave you Olafu? Oh, yes, Olafu. Yes. Sorry. No worries. Okay. So, um... So, the sun will never... You will never encounter sunlight in this city. So those creatures are never troubled. However, they still prefer to generally go out in the dusk and evening and nighttime. So conduct your business in the day, if at all possible. Um, your local knowledge is so beneficial to us. We we really appreciate all of the insight you've you've gleaned, and I imagine that our success in our mission here and our personal safety is is has increased by probably more measures than either of us know, and we we appreciate all of your all of your help. She smiles broadly. You're very welcome. I have one more question. <laughs> I am very sorry. If we are to um, perhaps try to associate ourselves with one of these groups that you're saying that humans are safer being a part of, um, is there something that the Embalmers Guild that we could possibly wear an emblem or a color or something that would maybe signal that we were part of this group? You're, you're a making ask. a play here. You're making an ask. And uh, that's going to take a roll. Okay. I'm so being clever by you trying You are to... being clever. Yes, yeah. go ahead and be clever. <laughs> Ooh, that Ooh. would be a five. That will do. Okay. She smiles. Hmm. I cannot... In, because you are not inducted into the Embalmers Guild, there is not... Uh, it would be inappropriate for you to wear any of our emblems. However, there are... There is a scarf that some of our attendants wear to show their association that is not technically... Technically, an emblem that would not embarrass us if you were wearing it. So, tell you what, follow me back to my wagon and I will give you each a scarf. Oh, And perhaps you. it will make someone think twice about trying to slit your throat in Paranu. I can't guarantee it, but it might help. Oh, thank you so much. We shall be honorary members. She holds up a <laughs> finger. No. You are not. But you are... perhaps my friends. Oh. A designation we promise to honor and respect. She waves a hand like, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> All right, so she waves you back. She she leads you uh, 
back to her her uh, wagon and she climbs in. She reach she hands you both out a a uh, a, a silken scarf that is threaded with gold and purple and it's very it, it definitely matches her vestments now don't be thinking this provides you any authority or any membership or anything like that i just hope it helps you not get killed i'd like you both to stay alive a priority that i believe we all share good luck my children in Paranu. And with that, she hands you the scarves and she steps into her wagon. And you all pass through the uh, crimson gate of Paranu. I kind of look back. We know where we're going. And I kind of think that might be the last time we see the world on this side. Possibly. Who knows? Certainly daylight for a while. Might be. Yeah, so as, as, as you look back, through the red gate, you can see kind of out a ways beyond the entrance. There's this like clear line of sh- of like a shadow on the ground, and then beyond that is the bright, harsh sunlight of the of the eastern desert of Nuria, and it's just such a crisp line. And in here, it's gloomy, and you look up, and there's just these thick gray clouds that look like they're just going to rain on you any minute. Wow. And there is no sun, no beams of sunlight coming through. So everything's just, it's not dark, but it's not bright. Everything's kind of overcast. Welcome to Paranu. As you look forward, there is a wide lane that kind of heads down the center of the cent, cent, the center of the city for a ways, and on each side of the lane are rows of bright crimson pillars that just line the row, and uh, um, leading up into the uh, ahead of you is a uh, a ways ahead of you, like probably a good like mile walk, but you've got a good like clear shot the whole way there. Um, through this wide av, this main avenue is an enormous bazaar in front of you, the great square. And off to each side is, you know, um, buildings and slums and, and, uh, and, uh, just city sprawling around. But ahead of you is the great bazaar, which looks like a semi-permanent collection of wooden buildings, tents, and, kind of layers and lots of bright, colorful, um, tent coverings and, uh, oh my gosh, what are those called? The, the, the canopies that stick out from, from shop fronts and, and everything. And your caravan heads forward towards the Great Bazaar. So, um, if you stay with the caravan, they will once they reach the bazaar, they will turn and they're going to be going around the bazaar and eventually heading to the Embalmers Guild headquarters. Do you want to stay with the caravan or do you want to split? Your duties have been discharged at this point. I'm a little nervous to leave the caravan just hearing what I've just heard sure. from the priestess. 
um, we kind of need to find an inn or somewhere that we can call home base while we get our footings. Um, I don't know where anywhere safe. Can we maybe ask Kareem where a good place would be to take up lodgings that he would suggest that might be safe for us? Sure. So, um, Kareem seems very, uh, distracted at this point because there's a lot going on as you, uh, enter the city and they're trying to prepare for their reception. As you look around, you see that lots of people are there. You see lots of people walking around. Many of them are in deep cloaks or wearing hoods or, um, broad brimmed hats that kind of help create cover. Every, it's very rare that you see someone purely open, uh, with an open head, but you do see a few people walking around that look very gray with, um, deep pointed ears and large, large eyes and everything else about their features are very sunken. And are those the dark wool? Perhaps. And just to be clear, we are still in our desert garb, so our heads are covered. Yeah. Uh, pretty much everyone in your caravan yeah. has been covered because you've been out in the desert. Yes. So, um, so the so the but as you look around, you also see some blobs, like a a blob of darkness moving. That's like a sh an animated shadow that other people just sort of move around. Ooh. And. <laughs> You straight up, because uh, Eleanor knows what she's looking for, you straight up see someone that you know, you can tell, they are a, um, they are a, a, a low, a low rung vampire. They look hungry. They look like they're, they're on the prowl and they're just sort of hanging on a, on a corner kind of looking around and, no one walks too close to them, but their eyes are like bloodshot red, which tends to happen as they get really hungry. And their eyes are actually, their their eyes are glowing a bit red. Ooh. And they're just there on a street corner. Wow. But then there's a lot of people in hoods. Not getting the warm fuzzies from Paranew. Nope. No. Not a warm fuzzy kind of place. All right. So, um... And as you look at that, you hear a, a chortle and as Kareem laughs. Ah, did you just see a vampire there, dearie? Ah, uh, uh, yes. Yes, I did. Well, welcome, welcome to Paranu. Don't let them bite you. <laughs> don't you, don't you worry. I won't. <laughs> so how can I help? Uh... Yes, my friend and I, we'd really, really like to have a nice shower and a good night's sleep. Um, but we're a little nervous, as you can imagine. Um, we're not quite sure where would be a good spot to kind of use as our home base. Uh, do you know of a place that would be hospitable for, uh, creatures such as my friend and I? Ah, huh. uh, you know, Yes, there's a, he kind of points actually, actually we just passed it, right? Because you're starting to turn around the corner of the, of the, of the uh, great square and the, the bazaar there. And he points back at a building a little ways back there at the corner. 
That right there is the two doves. And uh, a lady by the name of Soraya runs the place. I've stayed there a time or two when I haven't been on business that otherwise brought me accommodations when I got here. It's uh, a fine place. It'll do you well and no one there will try to kill you, maybe? Oh. That's about the best you can do in this city. That sounds excellent. Thank you. You're very welcome, and I, I, I cannot thank you enough for being on this road with us. If without you, I think, I think those Maroti would have gotten us, and I don't think we'd have been able to repel them. There were, there were a lot of ambushers in that, in that group, and a lot of drakes, and I don't, I'm just, I'm glad you were here. Thank you. You're very welcome. We, we appreciate the escort and the insight and the local knowledge that we've gleaned from our journey. So we, we appreciate you letting us tag along and we were happy to, to protect the, protect the caravan in kind. Um, we hope that you'd be able to do something with the information about the Maroti, uh, scouts that we hope that that intelligence would be of use to you in terms of your return trip or future trips? Well, it's, I'll definitely be taking a heavier guard on the way back. Um, I'll pass the news on to some more official channels that might take some diplomatic action, but I mean, what are they going to do? There's a war party out there. It's been that way for a while. That's why we try to bring protection like you. I'm glad you were with us. I'll take an extra guard on the way back. That's about all I can do, really. Well, best well, of we're luck. Glad, we're glad that you'll be safer, um, <laughs> with, because we probably will not be joining you on the return trip. Nah, I and didn't so think if... so. Well, I wish you both the best and safe journeys wherever it is you're heading. And he, he shakes both of your hands, and then he uh, continues on with the caravan. As you as you approach the inn, there is a canopy out in front of the building, and a gentle, gentleman is there with a large barrel um, and glasses sitting there. And as you walk, as you start walking up, he's uh, you you hear his his uh, his hawking water, fresh, clear water. Long trip on the road, your throat's feeling dusty. Come wash it down with some clean, pure spring water. It's nice and cold. I've got chilled glasses. What is his appearance? He looks like, so he's got, um, he's got... trustworthy. <laughs> he looks actually quite obviously human. He has... Okay, that, that's a point in his favor. Has, Olive skin with a goatee, with a, a dark goatee trimmed very tightly around his chin. Um, and his, uh, and he's got a, um, not a shaved head, but a bit of a fade going on. Um, and, uh, and, uh, a little bit, a little bit of a hair allowed on the top. So is clean water not a normal thing to get in Paranue? You are super thirsty coming out of the dusty desert. And they know that they are kind of right on the entryway to the bazaar, so mm, okay. you know. Okay. It's certainly a welcome only offer human, at this moment. 
only a humans though, or at least the living would need to avail themselves. Oh, also. it might be the screenings. I can't imagine there's a whole lot of uh, Dara Cool oh. walking through those gates oh. feeling thirsty. That is smart. That's very clever. We're not taking the water. Mm-mm. We got flasks. <laughs> yeah, I, Wait, I'm why, seeing why? that. Why? <laughs> because Tiffany just said that's a really good way to sort out who is human and who's not. Because humans need water. Dara Cools maybe don't need water. So if if you wanted to know who's human coming in those gates, you uh, go, here's some water, and then you know exactly who you're going to eat. <laughs> okay, okay. I, <laughs> I see your point. I don't think he was going that direction. That's not the direction I was going. <laughs> but now, uh, well, now there, he might. He, there he is. Uh, yeah, A give vendor me, who whispers. Keep giving me ideas, yes. <laughs> the trap. All right, well, he is there, and uh, <laughs> he is in gray trousers and, uh, and a linen shirt. <laughs> and as you approach, he, he holds out, a, uh, he holds out a, a glass. I've got a frosty version in that box right there. Would you like a cold glass of water, ladies? He doesn't know we're ladies. We're covered. <laughs> <sighs> Would you like a cold glass of water, folks? <laughs> uh, we we carry our, our own hydration. Uh, thank you. And, and I, I, I'm thirsty. Like, let it be known. I really, really want to. Um, is what I want to do is like do the honor thing. I want to like leave him a coin, take a glass, but. I don't want him to see that it was us. I want to like cast a distraction and like <laughs> make him go like, look over there. And then like, pitch my drink and like, we're going to get some water and hightail it because I don't want him to know it was us. Okay, sure. If you want to put that much effort into it, that would be covert. <laughs> Before I do this though, because I'm not entirely sure this is worth the effort to backfire in my face, which my clever magic has been known to do. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how you're doing that with magic. I thought you were doing this with more like... Toss a rock. Look over there! Yeah. <laughs> your, your magic is not especially suited to thievery. No, it's absolutely not. Um, but um, uh, how are our provisions? Like, genuine... But like, we're on our way to an inn. Like, that's where we're going and we're like pretty close by. It's good to know this guy is here. But I think we should just get to where we're going. Yeah, you pres you could presumably come out for a drink later if yeah. you wanted to. I say to. let's <laughs> just let's just keep going. We'll come back later. And maybe I can glamour us. I think actually every time we leave, we should glamour ourselves to look different so that yes. they never see the same people going in and out. And maybe if I can see a dark pool, maybe I can glamour us to look like them. Excellent. So although well to do it like as after we leave, like maybe the entrance, like in the lobby of the uh, mm. inn, so that they don't get scared. Oh, it's complicated. You're being very clever. I am. You know what happens when you get a little too I clever. No bad things. Anyway, we're heading <laughs> All right. to the inn. So you walk past the water cellar, who just when you don't take him up on the offer, he just keeps hawking to the next person. That's what he does. So um, you walk in through the door, 
The door is, uh, swings lightly on its hinges. And as you walk in, the, the building is made of clay bricks. There are, there's a, a window on kind of each side of the common room. So there's a nice cross breeze growing through, uh, passing through the, there's little, there's pleasant curtains sort of fluttering lightly in the breeze made of linen. And there is a front desk. There's only, unlike many inns you've been to, there's, not a whole lot of like common most inns seem to have like a restaurant on the main floor with then rooms above this barely has like a cafe if you like it's tiny there's like two tables and then there's a front desk so um it's it feels like a small place mm. but sitting at the uh, uh or the desk is actually empty but uh, when you walked in through the front door, a little there was a little tinkling bell um, that jingles as you walked in. And uh, coming out from the front is a young girl with olive skin and lovely brown tresses kind of cascading down around her face. She's wearing a... Excuse me. She's wearing a modest orange wraparound dress with a uh, with a some beads worked into her hair and she walks out from the room behind kind of passing through a screen of dangling uh, of uh, dangling beads that sort of tinkle as she wa- as she passes through hello how can i help you she gives you a big smile hello uh, we would like to have a room uh for two mm-hmm. pe- for, for two people that's right do you want to we should probably stay in the same room. Oh, yeah. For yeah. sure. Yes. One room, two beds. Hmm. Okay, one moment. She t- pulls out a book. She looks... <sighs> okay, so I'm very sorry. Um. All of our... All of our double bedrooms are actually full tonight, but one of them should be leaving tomorrow as far as I know. But we have a small room tonight that if you stay in there, then tomorrow we could move you to one of the double bedrooms. Sorry, did that make sense? Yes. I think that would be fine. I, I... We feel so welcome already. Walking through the door, you have a very comfortable establishment She gives you a here. lovely little grin. Um, is, uh, is the small room, is the bed big enough for both of us? Or do you have like a small trundle bed that we could use? Ooh, I mean, you could share it. It's rather narrow. They're small beds. Are you, I don't want to assume anything. She kind of gestures between the two of you. Uh... uh there's a we we could bring a cot. That would be wonderful. Okay, she kind of makes a little note. I'll have my dad bring that up. He's out right now. Is it okay if he does that later tonight? I'm sorry. Yes, that's fine. Thank you. But tomorrow, we, we'd be happy to settle in. This this would be this would be completely fine. Um, we can find ourselves comfortable until the evening. Um, you can imagine that we of the human kind oh uh, i didn't want to assume what are you doing telling her (laughs) Uh, 
Perhaps this was maybe too much. <laughs> I'm like so off put by the whole water thing. And now I'm just like, oh, we've arrived. We're safe. And now it's like running my mouth. Um, <laughs> like Miri <we>, does. <laughs> we are just so happy to feel, as newcomers to the city, to feel safe in your establishment. And we appreciate any manner of comfort you'd be able to provide during our stay. Oh, thank you. We try really hard here. My mom and dad do a really good job with this place. She's going to sell us out to the dark pool. You just wait. <laughs> you just watch it. <laughs> this little girl is bad news. So Eleanor she... doesn't trust anyone. <laughs> no. She goes back. She comes back out with a uh, with a skeleton key on a big jangly ring. Um, she names a price, you guys exchange some money, she hands you a jangly key, and you head back, your room is on the, uh, first floor, or sorry, the, the, not ground floor, the, the second floor, and so you walk up, uh, you walk back through a hallway, then you walk up some stairs, and there you are in, uh, in a very small little room that has a single bed and a bit of kind of you know wash basin and some basic comforts and it's a it's a very small little space but you know it'll do before so i'm assuming we walk up with our bags we set them down before we get too comfy because it's daytime right what time what part it time was of the day is late it? afternoon now heading into kind of early early evening. So I think that we ought to just set our bags down and I think we ought to go out and just sort of like walk around a little bit to get our bearings, grab some food. Yeah, it's getting dinner time. Yeah, and then just like hunker in for the night so we are not out at nighttime at all, but so that in tomorrow morning we sort of have a, a little bit of a lay of the land. I agree. I think I'm almost thinking due to the skepticism that I think we both, with the exception of my slip at the front door in the face of a child, um, I think that um, our skepticism may do us well to maybe even sleep in watches mm -hmm. and like sleep in shifts. And yeah. so if one of us could like stay by the window and like see who kind of comes and goes. Uh, and oh, this room doesn't have a window. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's actually good though. Okay. That makes it safer. Yeah, that that's a fair point. Yeah, that's true. It's also really warm and stuffy. Well, you know, you know. Hopefully, those people is, leave tomorrow so you can get a better, better room. room. Is there roof access? Could we? Would we be able to at least get a lit before either of us turn in? Could we, like, from the safety of this building, can we see outside? Um, with the exception of the front door. If you spend some time exploring, there's probably a a, a spot. Okay. It's now. Okay. So that's what we do. We set our bags down, and then okay. we go out to kind of walk around, peruse the neighborhood, and grab some takeout for dinner. <laughs> All right. So, um... What precautions, if any, are you taking? So I'm assuming 
that we both are wearing our wards from the negative energy and okay. they are hidden and concealed. Okay. Where no one can see them. So both of you put on, for one of your gear aspects, put that in one of your active gear aspects so that it's currently active. Definitely. So if I have my dagger and my fancy whip, I can't have both of those? You would put one of them in for the for the amulet yes uh, okay. so you must choose okay well i'm gonna do it in place with my dagger yeah that seems i right. like my whip yeah you've been using the whip more lately would it be narratively helpful or mechanically beneficial if i were to what I'd like to do is reinforce the chain that the amulets are on with basically what I want to make is like an eternal vine that encircles the chain so that the chain can't be like broken. So it can't be like ripped off our neck, basically Ooh. like an unending reinforcement so that it actually can't be physically removed. That's a good idea. Because so, like, anybody pulling hard enough could grab this thing and break it. Sure. But I want to like basically lock the clasp sure. with an unending vine that would secure it to our necks. So here's the thing. Ongoing magic is the realm of like permanent magic stuff is the realm of rituals. Ooh. Here we are at the ritual. <laughs> normal, okay. normal spells last about a scene which means like anywhere from you know five to thirty minutes um you can ex you know extending magic makes it maybe last like a day making magic last longer than making an effect that lasts longer than that um is in the realm of rituals okay so this isn't something that i could like make like a potion like it's not something that i could just like craft and it would just exist this would be like a protection that would be ongoing and it would have to be a ritual so a craft so this is a so a if it's a i guess it depends a bit on what you're making it out of you talk you're talking like you, you were talking like an eternal vine which made it makes me think of some sort of magical crafting no, it was almost like a charm where it would be like I would take like a like a vine or a piece of twine or some, you know, natural fiber that has, you know, two ends, like a length yeah. of fiber and weave it into the chain and then make the two ends grow into each other so that there was no beginning and there was no end so that it was like sort of firmly bonded with and but I guess could still be broken because it's just twine. The, so if I actually wanted to make it as strong as I hope for it to be, then yeah, the permanence and 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 being a meaningful impact is is in the realm of like that's okay. ench that's like enchanted object kind of stuff. Right. Okay. I will keep that in mind. So it's doable. It's not in doable, your current skill set. You could certainly do it for a short term. Okay. With um, your level of magic. Okay. Um, just in general, you know, I don't know what level of, I don't know, brazen street thievery we may encounter. Um, I don't know exactly what kind of targets we have on us, um, as humans and for our first foray into town, I think that would probably be a good idea. Okay. 
Um, so uh, we'll say that there's actually kind of a sure tiny, kind of we'll say there's a hanging house plant in your room that they try to do to give it a little bit of, um, a little bit of charm. They must rotate it out of the room because there's no sunlight in this room. There's no window, so they must rotate it through. But there's like a little hanging thing that has some fro some uh, vines, kind of uh, vines with leaves coming out. So you have some raw material to work with. So mm -hmm. yes, if you would like to, basically, uh, we will just we'd treat that as a creed advantage that basically would just give you a a benefit in the event of someone trying to rip your necklace off. Okay. And uh, in order for it to last, we'll say for a for the the day. That'll be mm -hmm. make it more difficult. Is that kind of what you're going for here? Yeah, just I mean, yeah, just until we kind of until we return and we reassess as we're getting a lay of the land. Sure, it would be a good idea to secure our sort of mortal securities to yeah. our persons. Did we see any cat folk here? Not distinctly yet. Okay, I'm but you see a lot of people in hoods. It's really hard because you see some people like tall skinny short and broad like you see all kinds of shapes you see hunched you see t like like it's just tricky but people really seem to not walk around uncovered here okay because i feel like glamorous for me um i don't know that i could really do something without having seen it before correct like you i need, need to have seen to have the visual reference. yeah yes and i know that in the oasis we've probably come across a lot of different species yeah. and things but... you have definitively never met a dara cool i am stating right, right. that right. now so i know i'm not yeah. i'm not going to try to do that yeah, i'm yeah. just sort of putting that out there um so i'm imagining that we're going out we've secured these necklaces now um we have cloaks with hoods so uh i'm gonna have my head wrap and face with a scarf and a hood over um but we still have to see and have kind of yep. our faces. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm wanting to glamour both of us to be... I guess I'm going to sort of glamour us to be like the faces of the undead that I saw in Perbastet, the um, the, uh, the workers for uh -huh. Mishkenet. Yep. Okay. Just so we have kind of that, like, what were they, sort of blue, purpley, gray? Yeah, very, they were very shambly. They were very, they practically skin on bone. Yeah, I just want to make it so that we don't look obviously human and obviously female. Okay. So you were one of the, one of those, you're, you're basically trying to make one of those things, except really just in the face just and the, the hands. Yeah. And, well, I'm I'm sure we could have gloves on too. Like, really, yeah. I'm just going for the face because I want to do it on both of us, and I want it to last the whole time we're walking around. Okay, so um, both of you are doing a thing here. So, Tiffany, uh, both for both of you, we'll say it seems like for to make this kind of an extended thing um, for both of you. Go ahead and just give me a. Uh, let's see, since it's extended. And it's affecting more than it's affecting both of you. Um, for both of you, uh, that's a difficulty four. Unless Aaron, you want to use your stunt that lets you push your limits. Um, it's your meta magic. Meta magic. You have extend spell as a meta, so you can do that. If I use that tonight, can I also use it tomorrow? 
Um, that is a once per refresh, basically. Ooh. Rude. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the basic function, yeah. Well, so wait, but but when I go to sleep, do I get to refresh? Not sleep in game. Refresh in our, which is this session, I, I expect us to refresh next time because you didn't refresh this yeah. time. Because our sessions are fairly short, so. Yeah. Okay. By uh, default rules, it's per session, but our sessions are kind of short. So you could, you could, it would be reasonable for you to use that. That would reduce your difficulty. Okay, I'll do meta magic. Okay. So for you, it's only difficulty three. Oh, wait, hey, 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 and she, her too. For, She's in my circle. Well, yeah, it'll, but for her, her, her spell is her spell. Okay. So hers is four, yours is three. So Tiffany. I you, you said two. No. I said three. I never said two. I'm going to go listen to the recording. <laughs> so um, I'm fairly open on approaches here. You have your... I'm very clever. All right, fine. Aw, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, really? I'm at a two. my stunt on a two you so because of push your limits you can well actually i don't want to push my limits on this no 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 i mean not if to we are going to refresh not to use your plus four so whenever you're using magic you can always take stress to bring you up to a tie. oh right i always forget about that yes because it's either that or wild magic Oh, well, then let's do that. Okay, so, so let's take a stress. Yep, yeah, take a stress. That brings you up to a tie, because you only missed yeah, by one. Yeah. Okay, so um, so as you're, as you're working your illusion, um, and you're, you're trying to work on your... It's one thing to work on Mira's eyes, because you can see. You're trying to work on yours, and it's... Um, it's hard because you don't have, there's no mirror in this room and it's hard to see and it's hard. To, it's just harder. So, um, since it's going to be a tie, mm -hmm. okay, you create the aspect, but there's, um, there's no, you have no, there's no free invokes on it, but the aspect takes place. So you are disguised. You are protect. You are illusioned. You're glamoured. You're glamoured, but you don't get any free invokes on it. Okay. Does that make sense? So is it still going to help us? Yeah. Okay. And you could take further actions later, like in the okay. in, to put build other as build up more invokes on it. Okay. But there's an aspect in place. You are disguised. Okay. Okay. Cool. So Tiffany, how do so you so I'm I'm stating before the roll. Okay. Um, is that, so I am going to make these sort of unending plant fiber circles that reinforce the chains on our amulets. Nice. Um, and with the material that I'm using, I also want to, um, I, I also want to do that around the, the doorknob and, um, a thorn that, I mean, just in my little mm -hmm. pocket, I've got like little things. Um, sure. Basically, I want to do like the like the scotch tape and a hair like trick where you like put a thing on your door to see if the door was opened while you were gone. 
Mm. Oh, okay. Because healthy skepticism, I want to make sure nobody rifles through our room while we're gone. And so I want to put like... Okay, so that is separate... That's a separate thing. I, mean, I was thinking, net. like, if as long as I'm doing unending vines, I'd like to do that. On that the doesn't door, seem but like that's a big magic thing. That does. I agree. Like, that's just her putting a vine. I agree. Yeah. That's a separate. We're we're separating that from your. Okay, so securing the ambulance is one, and then like, as long as I'm messing about, I'm gonna do my little door trick. Okay. That works. So okay, here we go. So my focus is three. You said difficulty four. Yes. Okay, here we go. Because you're trying to make something that will last for a okay, while. Okay, that is a four. Good. Total. Okay, so that's a tie. Net. So similarly, there is an aspect. So the aspect of, re you know, reinforced or uh, is in place. So you're if anyone tries to tear your amulets off, you have an aspect that you could invoke, but you don't have any free invokes on it. Okay? Fair. Cool. All right. All right. And yes, you're, we'll let you rig up the door for free. That's relatively, that's yeah. just kind of physical precaution. Mm -hmm. No big deal. So, so, uh, Aaron, explain for when, uh, when Mira looks at you as you work the glamour on the two of you, what does she see? So she is going to see her skin. Um, it looks very wrinkled. Uh, it looks very dry, and her features are now sunken in a lot more. Um, the skin is, it, it's a lot paler than normal, but it also has uh, definitely a tinge of grayish, bluish hue mm. to it. Definitely, she does not look alive. She looks like Mira if she had not had any figs at all, <laughs> what she would look like, uh, which is maybe a little scary for us <laughs> if we, you know, think about what the figs have the potential to help us, you know, not become. Um, and your eyes don't look human, which is what I was going for. They look... Uh, a little glazed over, almost as if you have really bad cataracts. Yeah. So very opaque. Um, and I think that's all because I don't, I don't think my glamours can really like get rid of our eyes or do anything. It's just sort of filmy and makes them not look obviously human. Your lips are all shriveled and, and the teeth are there, but they look pretty gnarly. <laughs> Yeesh. Yeah. So, but there's no mirrors in here, so I can't see myself. All I see is because I know you and I know, you know, I could, this isn't just like you duplicated that one undead guard that we saw. No. In her best debt. This is like you, but dead. And yes. I just watched you age 500 years in an instant. Yeah. Woof. Yeah. And it's, I think the first time that we've, together at least, sort of changed our own visage and not like, or rather altered our own visage instead of like becoming something else entirely, like been like Eleanor, but different or Mira, but different. 
Mm-hmm. You look like yourself in a different state as opposed to something else entirely. And um, yeah, that probably puts Mira through some mental gymnastics she maybe wasn't prepared for. <laughs> All right. So as you uh you you as you leave the uh the girl at the desk is sitting there kind of doing some cleaning and she looks and she looks like she's about to say goodbye but then she sees the two of you and just goes uh, we quickly turn away and just, you know, kind of do a little wave and scamper out. She looks confused. <laughs> and uh you leave the 14-year-old behind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you head out into the gloomy city of Paranu. There is a very colorful spice market in front of you in the in the great square, the um the bazaar that is there. Where do you want to go? I think we just want to walk around and see the city a bit more and just kind of I mean, I don't know how close the um castle and not not the castle but the uh the palace the palace is maybe we could just kind of because we know we want to go there we could just sort of i don't know i feel like whenever i get into a new city and we've been traveling like we kind of set our bags down and we're like okay let's go get a snack let's go see where we're gonna head just kind of scout the area Mm -hmm. that's kind of what i want to do okay so i want to make sure though that we are we're not like looking aimless that if we choose to like observe and not engage like you know we're not going shopping necessarily we're not like trying to like strike up conversations with vendors we do want to kind of blend in but we don't want to look purposeless so um i think it would be good for us to kind of like i don't know find like a shadowy corner to kind of like watch from or like look just as skulking as maybe our our glamour would like we're not going to be like super peppy undead tourists like we're definitely going to be kind of <laughs> slow and skulking by nature at least to somebody observing our behavior that would seem fitting and yeah. so i think it would be good for us to just kind of like stop and watch i think we're also going to be on the lookout for anything I mean, anything that has to do with the Embalmers Guild, just so we sort of know where they are. Because I kind of feel like they're our lifeline. If we need something, we can go there. Um, we're also, I'm also going to be noticing anything that maybe looks like Red Portal Wizard headquarters or people mm-hmm. or just sort of, you know, noting that. And then anything that looks like Ancient Order of the Tomb Keepers. We'll sort of be looking for that as well. And then we're also looking for Olafu. And I've got his business card. I don't know if that's going to help us, but just sort of looking for anything with that. Anything Shadow Fae we're going to be on the lookout for. And then definitely want to go see the palace. If it's close. Okay. So. Yeah. And I want to see a dark ghoul. I'm afraid. (laughs) I'm scared of them. And so I just want to, like, see one just so we sort of know what we're dealing with. And I will be on lookout for vampires as well. Okay. <laughs> you probably would pick up on like the presence of vampires. Like that would probably like. There's no vampire sonar, of... but like you'd recognize, <laughs> like you'd rec if you're looking at one, like you'd probably, assuming neither of you are disguised, you'd pro they you'd probably recognize them, but 
they might be disguised as well. Right, right. You right. never I know. know. I know. I'm just telling you all the things we're sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of yeah. looking for on our to do list while we're in town. Yes, exactly. Um, we're not aimless. Uh, we are. I have a vampire question because, like, all these undead races and things are really kind of new territory for Mira, and sure. I'm just just learning kind of what each of their capabilities are. Um, Eleanor has been sniffed out, literally, on more than one occasion. And this is before she kind of leaned into her vampiric powers. Yep. She's been, her, her um, bitten blood has been perceived by more than one individual. And I'm curious if that's something that all vampires possess or if that's just kind of like high-powered vampire leaders. Does Eleanor have the power to sniff mm -hmm. out other vampires? Mm -hmm. Good question. So the people <laughs> who have sniffed you out are fairly high-powered individuals. So it's not obvious. They are It's people who have been at fairly attuned to that sort of thing. I will say... I'm a 250-year-old vampire. Kind of. <laughs> Lady Alashra told her that powers age like a fine wine. And oh, yes. yes. I remember this conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. If you embraced them. Right. I don't... So, I haven't bitten anyone, so I don't have any of my hungry boxes marked. And, like, my tattoos have totally done their job to get rid of everything. So, I am not powered up at all. I'm like human right now i guess okay. human with yeah because because that's what the tattoos do is mm -hmm. they suppress that power okay so it's probably not something that you would be able to do unless you were like in like killing machine mode you can so so you can you can summon up the power whenever you want to and you become progressively hungrier mm -hmm. the hungrier you get the more obvious your vampiric nature becomes but what about me seeking yeah. out other so you do not have a have vampire radar <laughs> okay however if they are not making any any attempt to hide themselves and you have a good look at them you probably can recognize one when you see one okay yeah like they are kind of distinctive they're not like they they can pass for human but um if they're not making any attempts to disguise their nature, you would probably recognize one. Okay. Or at least recognize something like them. Okay. Yeah. So what's the nature of the teenager at the front desk? Oh. Is she good? She's 100% <laughs> perky 14-year-old human girl. All right. So you're heading out into Purimu. So the, uh, the red market, uh, many of the shops, it's a mix of permanent semi-permanent and transient structures so um buildings that are present are made of either gray stone or clay bricks depending almost all of them have storefronts that are made of cloth and wood however so you pretty much feel like you're moving in the in the market you feel like you're moving through an air through a tent area even though some buildings actually have like stone or clay structures behind them the the fronts are always made of bright cloth and wood so that's like dominating the feel as you move through and it's fairly narrow 
And there's a lot of spots that are just tents that have been set up. Um, and there is a really robust um, spice market throughout uh, throughout here. So this area is called the Red Market. Um, and uh, as you walk around, they are... Um, they're hawking their wares. It's very loud and it's very musical, even though, uh, like all, all of the hawkers are, have little sing song kind of chants that they use to sort of advertise what they're selling. So you've got, um, everything from, from, uh, peppers to cinnamon to various brightly colored powders to, um, you know, to, uh, uh, prepared sweets and desserts and their meat. There is a lot of meat here. There's actually a lot of meat, uh, shops and. Does it say what kind of meat? Uh, <laughs> frequently, actually, it's often a lot of, seems like it's a lot of goat, a lot of camel. There is beef. There's ostrich. Um, there's no intelligent meat. There is not lit, not that you notice. Um, there are some shops where you see, like, you actually see some, like, a pen of ostriches with it has, like, three ostriches in it kind of, you know, bobbing around. Um, there's, oh, no. there's some cows here and there. There's lots of little goats running around. Um, so when you say meat sellers, are these, like, food vendors that are, like, selling prepared dessert, like, uh, dishes? Or are these, like, butchers that are selling, Both. like... You run into both. There's folks selling prepared food. There's folks selling folks where you would just buy like a side of beef to take home or whatever suits your fancy. How um, big is Paranu? Um, like, is it, there a lot of people around? So. Or a lot of uh, bodies, I guess. So it is definitely. So Perbastet and Nuria had a, they were highly populated and very dense. This is a decently sized city, but it's not nearly as busy as those other cities were. So you're not like bumping shoulders with mm, people all okay. the time. And in fact, people here seem to really like their space. There seems to be a lot of social um, distancing. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Um, everyone gives each other space here. Um, and it, you, you get a, there's a general sense of deference as in everyone just kind of assumes that the person next to them could kill them if they, if they had half a mind. So it keeps everyone fairly polite and deferential and everyone, no one seems in a hurry. There's all these sort of cloaked figures, you know, um, or, you know, hatted figures with their heads dipped down, kind of moving about, but everyone kind of moves kind of slowly. Everyone gives space around someone else. No one bumps into each other. And the hawkers are very noisy. But otherwise, like, the individuals moving around seem relatively quiet unless they're in a conversation. So uh, you see uh, you see one lady haggling over a collection of, um, of spices with a... Uh, um, with the first cat folk actually that you've seen is running the stall. You see a, another one with it where it's a, uh, where it's a man who is surprisingly fair skinned for this area who looks like he's selling, 
um, a collection of um, utensils and pottery and and knickknacks and things like that. Then there's a a, a butcher that looks like a family operation. Um, they're one of the ones that has they have uh, looks like they have ostriches and cows, and uh, they actually also do a scramble right then and there if you're interested. Are most of these shopkeepers human? Um, some. Some are human. You also get your very first, very clear look at... As soon as you see it, you're like, Oh, I bet you that's a Darakul. So they look... Their skin is gray. Their forehead is kind of... They, they're, they're generally human. They look, their forehead is bald, or their head is bald, and their forehead is a little bulby. Their ears are long and, are, are long and pointed, and their mouth, their, their lips are kind of always pulled back from their mouth, unless they make a real attempt to close their mouth. Um, and their teeth are very obviously, um, pointed, and their fingers are, their, their, uh, sorry. Their posture is slightly stooped, but it looks like they can, um, you notice that once in a while they make an effort to stand up straight and kind of lift their chest, but otherwise there's a tendency to sort of stoop. And then their hands, their fingers are long and the, the joints in their fingers are very, uh, noticeably knobbly, knobby. And they have very long nails that look really hard, very claw-like, and you're pretty sure could be used viciously in a if if uh, in a fight. This particular shopkeep looks like he is selling um drinks of some kind. You see lots of bottles around him, and. He's uh, he's kind of waving and chatting at folk as they walk by. And then uh, as he, he locks eyes with the two of you, and he sort of beckons with a long clawed finger. Come here, come here. I have anything, any sort of beverage you might be looking for. Come to my, come to my store. How can I help you? Where are you coming from? Do we go to the store? I, I'm looking, uh, Mira's looking to Eleanor and like, is this enough? Do you have a close uh, enough look? Is, do we need to go talk to this guy or is like eye contact you know that, and hold enough? I probably should go talk. I mean, we should probably go talk to him. You know that in order to like replicate something, you need to spend some time like studying yeah. it and interacting with it. Okay. And I feel like. For it to be good. We, we should like know, I feel like we should go talk to this guy. We're in a shop space. I don't think he's going to try anything. Um, we just need to be careful not to like give away ourselves. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So I just kind of like look at you. I kind of beckon with my head and yep, we're going to do this. Let's do it. Okay. So we, he smiles so we, we start a, to walk over. He smiles a wide, his, his grin gets wider you didn't think it could it was already a wide smile but it gets like extra wide it's almost sharkish now 
Um, but it looks genuine. And, uh, he claps his hands as you get closer. Yes, come, come, come. It's so good to have a, have a moment with you. So, what are you thirsty for? I have wine. I have blood. I have spirits. I even have some spring water, if that's your preference. What can I do you for? He has blood. He said that, and he didn't even like. He didn't. He didn't even say it like it was special. Interesting. He just. Said, oh, I want to ask him about it, but I'm a little nervous to ask him about it. So um, I. So again, glamour's only affect. The visual quality, yep. not voices, yep. right? And we've yep. never heard what an undead sounds nope. like when they talk if they're all nope. like dusty and breathy or craggy and weird maybe he doesn't know maybe he's never talked to our type of undead before maybe undead don't talk we don't even know that we don't know <laughs> i mean he addressed us and you know we're not super perceptive as what we are anyway but well and yeah and like it, it's just our face and honestly we just like yeah. look nasty we just look like yeah. nasty versions of ourselves. okay right <laughs> um he continues, you haven't said anything, and he's still talking. Um, so he's, like, referencing bottles, and he's pointing out at the weather. and <laughs> He's just going, waiting for you to actually say something. But he's still talking to fill the space. So I'm, I'm trying very hard to, like, affect my voice, at least in some passable way. At least there's nothing that, like, Mira naturally sounds like. I don't know if I'm right, but I'm taking a flyer on it. Okay. Um... We're, we're satisfied for now. Do you have anything in any vials to go that we may take with us on our travels? Well, you kind of gesture around. It's almost all in bottles, I guess. You could take it anywhere you want to go. We'll, we'll take some blood to go. I look at Mira. <laughs> he nods, and again... Doesn't skip a beat, just gestures you back to a little, to a particular shelf. And sure enough, these look like bottles, kind of like mini bottles of Ooh, wine. Not like, not good. like shot bottles, but like, um. We can use this later. <laughs> like, um, probably about like, um, 250 milliliter size bottles. So, like, you know. Mini like, bar size? Mini bar size. The large ones in a mini bar, not the teeny tiny shot ones. But, like. Well, the, what kind of blood is it? Maybe he's got some special well, blood. Well, so he starts. At, sure, he just starts. Doing, he's, he starts referencing. He's like, so this is. This is some. This is. This is Nurian blood. I've got some. I've got some um, imported uh, blood from. Uh, from the. That comes from Northland Raiders. I've got um these this is the uh this is this is a vintage from a 17-year-old virgin from the seven kingdoms to the north who's said to have had the yellow uh, pure yellow hair there's you know this is a uh this is a um dwarf's blood from the from the iron crags um he just got like there's ver- there's vintages and varieties Every bit as diverse as any vinter. What is the most rare 
blood that you carry. Oh, well, that's easy. I've got a bottle of elf blood. Ooh. <laughs> now, mind you, elves have been gone for a while. Like, there's there's some enclaves hiding out here and there, but, like, you two have been around the block a few times, and you've never met an elf. Oh, my gosh. I wonder what that tastes like. Elf-touched bloodlines run through many families around the world, but, like, an actual elf, you've never seen an elf. No one you know except for, like, a f like there's a few folks in the Oasis who say they have met elves, but, you know, it's been a long time. We've never met an elf in the Oasis. You have never met an elf in the Oasis. Wow. Um, I'm quite impressed with the availability that you have the wide variety. Do you do you supply your inventory yourselves? Do oh you goodness, no. I have connections. How do you know? I'm a distributor. How do you know it's real elf blood? They're not elves around. How do we know? <sighs> My dear. How do you know that any vintage of any beverage is what it says it is? Reputation and trust. Well, I've never, I, I've, I've never met you before. So don't buy it. Are you going to buy something or not? Or are you going to waste my time? Well, how am I supposed to make a selection when you just get agitated? Read the labels. We are just trying to browse your wares. He's kind of crossing his arms, getting a bit defensive and just kind of waiting. How much is the elf blood? Really? I don't think you can actually afford it. Try us. A hairless eyebrow cocks. One thousand gold for the bottle. One thousand gold. It's the most expensive bottle I carry. I've had it for ten years. The most expensive bottle, Mira. For ten years. I bet you're wanting to move that. It's a long time to hold something, isn't it? Ten years. He's just sitting there, like, watching you. What's your game? It only has value. If, <clears throat> I mean, it only has <laughs> If anyone buys it right now, you don't have a thousand but gold. You have a bottle of blood. That we you have pockets of gold. That you say is elf blood, and you want us to assume it's elf blood. For ten years you've had it. What are you implying? What are we implying, Mira? I believe we're... We're, uh... Ten years. We're exchanging ideas of supply and demand and value of goods and services. It's an awfully long time to have a bottle of blood. So, sorry, side question. The question of, like, I mean, that's a lot of money to uh -huh. him. I don't really have a sense of, like, currency, because, like, we haven't really had a, like, 
Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and that's no, kind of intentional. Um, more than, like, I don't want us. I don't want us nitpicking on how many coins you're carrying. So we've been yeah. intentionally vague about your currency. Suffice it to say, that's a lot of money. Um, okay. I'm just curious if it's like if it's worth it for like because Mira's interested in like a like making a purchase and like being like, okay, cool. Pleasure doing business with you. And like, he forgets we're over there. Um, but what I really want is to like have this like kind of literal lifeblood kind of like in a stored sealed container, because it's kind of like if you're going to like encounter like dogs that you need to like, it'd be good if you had like a steak, so like in like in Clue, when ah. you know he has a pocket full of steak and he like sends the guard dogs off to like have a snack and then they get to go proceed on their way unbothered by the guard snacks. They don't want to be snacks, so they bring <laughs> guard snacks. <laughs> so just so we're all clear, dropping a bottle of blood on the street is probably not gonna make the <laughs> vampires go lap it up in instead of trying to kill you. They're, they are intelligent. <laughs> Mira's gonna totally have this thing of this ah! like throw the blood at everybody and run away <laughs> and even if it did the subtlety and, and detail of the of the ancient elven vintage is probably lost in the heat of the moment <laughs> however it would probably make a very nice gift mm, that's true if it's as to rare the as right said. recipient does the God King drink blood? You have no idea. But it's elf blood. I mean, that's pretty rare. Although we have we have figs of eternal life. You do. <laughs> like, that we don't necessarily, because who else would have those but us? Right. And so anybody and, could have. And I will say, you're packing money, but you're not packing a thousand gold. I know. That's a lot of gold. I know. I was just okay. going to see if yeah. he would come down to know, price a little good bit. Good to know it's here. What was that? It's good to know it's here. Oh, yes. Um, that we can come back yes. at a later date. You know, that is a, a very interesting that you have elven blood. Uh, we will keep that in mind as we browse the wares. Um, can we just get a couple bottles of a good wine? But of course. Are you looking for red? Well, he goes off and on. And, and uh, what do you end up buying? We end up getting some red wine. All right. So he... he uh, Mira, Mira wants blood. And like... Okay. And, some uh, cheap what blood. What did you say? There was some kind of like bandit or marauder of some yeah. kind. Like <laughs> He mentioned specifically there was a bad guy's blood. Yeah, it was like the North Raiders. Northland Raiders. Basically, yeah. i.e. Vikings from the far north. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, Mira wants to buy the blood that sounded like it was from the person who was either most deservedly sounding like they made their end, like she doesn't want to have the blood of an innocent literally on her person, but if it sounded like it was a person who probably was doing some bad stuff, she'd feel less guilty about buying the blood of a murderer than somebody who was murdered. So most of the descriptions uh, don't get that detailed, um, but he probably makes you feel good. Yeah, about your he, he picks up on he picks up on what you're laying down. Oh, I knew how to come in. 
he definitely uh he definitely he talks had about coming. the Oh he goodness. had <laughs> He talks about the Northland Raiders' uh, blood as if they were fierce, savage warriors that that uh, that reaved along the uh, along the coasts. And uh, he he gives you a story that makes you feel very not guilty about about their demise. He only had himself to blame. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, he, uh, there's a, there's a, there, you can definitely work in a bottle of Viking blood into that. I just like tuck that away in my little satchel, just like, I'll come up with a use for that later, but didn't awesome. have that in my toolkit before. Or, you know, if I need a snack. <laughs> right. And you get some if bottles my, of wine. I need the road snack. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So then uh, you continue. So around, as you kind of meander around the, the bazaar, so you, uh, you do also realize, after a bit, you realize that there are quite a few knolls here. And you've seen knolls in pretty much all the cities you've been in. They're really common in the Southlands. But what's interesting is that here, a lot of the knolls, you see a lot of gnolls who seem to be um, guards or the, the watch, or actually rather most of the people who are obviously watch are gnolls. So you don't see a lot of Darakul dressed as guards. You don't see many humans dressed as guards. Most of the guards are gnolls, which you have not seen in most of the cities that you're in. It's interesting. And in fact, as you're walking past one of the guards, um, he kind of leans forward and just sort of sniffs as you walk past and just kind of looks at you, uh, looks at the two of you oddly, like it doesn't, your scent doesn't quite match the visuals. And he just kind of watches and, and, uh, and, uh, lets you go on. He doesn't try to stop you or anything, just notes. We keep walking. Okay. Um, yep. Does he know mine? No attention to ourselves. Yes. As you sort of get out to the outer edges of the out of the bazaar on uh, on a couple different, and so I'm again, I guess you kind of walk around and sort of hit an edge, and then walk around to another side. And so as you as you hit different edges of the of the great square, there are some grand buildings in the immediate vicinity around the square, and one of those. Um, looks like a temple, a, a very nice temple to Anuakma. The the uh, iconography is obvious. There's a lot of jackal heads around. He's got a giant scythe. Like it's on. It's very obvious. Um, and it's it's the largest temple to Anuakma that you have seen in any of the cities that you've been in. You also see a uh, a temple that is looks like it's devoted to Isis, which is a goddess you don't see as much uh, down here. And in particular, she's very much a uh, uh, she's a, your associations with Isis have been a lot of um, very much associations of life and birth and midwifery 
And she does have associations with like water and death, but it's usually a lesser kind of part of her portfolio. So it's kind of an interesting sight to see here. And her temple is um, in the um, right on either side of the front door are two very large vases on pedestals brimming with white um, with uh, white flowers which is, it just stands out here. Um, there's another building that you see, um, and the uh, it's surrounded by crimson pillars, just like the main, the main area, or the main walkway, the main avenue that you came in on the city. And it is a large domed structure, and... Out in front are two very large uh, brass statues that look like very large three-headed jackal dog things. Probably the size of like, the sculptures are about the size of elephants. And the, the, uh, there are some, there's a significant knoll guards that are very heavily armed at the doorways like this is it looks like a very serious place and in and interestingly the on the statues you actually notice that the body is like stationary but you notice the eyes moving on those like scanning or like locking on to targets in particular so uh scanning okay. and Every each statue has three heads, and each head has two eyes that are moving like together. Okay, so, but like it seems to be like surveilling, not like what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Um, it's hard to tell. It's definitely they they don't just. It's not just a smooth pan. Like okay. it's, it, it definitely is like looking at things, but it doesn't stay fixated on anything for very long. Okay. And you see zero movement. So there's only so much in individual head given its angle that it can okay. take in. Curious. Basically, I'm trying to, I'm trying to determine if there's like intelligence behind. It's really hard to movement. tell. The eyes do not look alive. The eyes also look like they're made of brass, but they're moving. It's weird. Whoa. Yeah. Yes. So three heads each, two statues, two eyes. So 12 individual optic inputs. Uh, yes. Six heads, six pairs of eyes. Okay. 12 eyes total. <laughs> but they're working in. <laughs> Doing the surveillance math. There you go. Yeah. But they, the, the, between the two, all three heads, there's like two, think of two overlapping fans of like fields of vision. Got it. And so there's two statues. Are they, sorry, they're flanking a doorway or just sort of like the, like, they sort of, they're, they're passing on, between them? They are, they, there's a, a little courtyard in front of the doorway and they're kind of in front of the courtyard. So anything walking into the courtyard would pass through their sight. And then you 
Then you see a, uh, not right on the square, but just a little bit past, but it's tall enough that you can see, uh, you see a building that is lined in quite a bit of gold, and you see a an emblem on one of the spires coming out the top of the square building that uh, makes you think that is possibly an embalmer's guild building. And it's big and it's grand, so okay. might be the hall, might be just a temple, hard to tell, but it looks like it might be an embalmer's guild building. Um, and uh, so that's kind of your tour of, as you walk around the great square and the and the the red market in the within the square and gives you a really good taste of paranu so it's now you've spent several hours kind of wandering around you're able you bought your your drinks um you were able to find a little bit of food along the way um and it's now getting into the evening. It was already, it's always been dim since you got here, but it's going to start, you can tell that it's going to start getting like seriously dark. And you're pretty sure that there will be no starlight or moonlight coming through those that cloud cover up above. So we head straight back to the hotel. Okay. Or the inn. So as the... I guess, ambient daylight, not direct sunlight. Mm -hmm. But as the daylight starts to wane, do we notice the sort of crowds and passersby getting more busy or less? It actually seems a bit busier. What's interesting is that, like, nothing closes. You see, like, it seems like everything that was open before is still open. And as you, uh, like a lot you're used in other places to shops having like a little a little plaque that indicates like kind of their general you know operating times you see anything there like the city doesn't isn't your your indication as you start heading back to your to your lodgings is that the city never stops it just sort of rotates kind of like an undead vegas <laughs> So, are the is the? I'm curious if we see anything new that it's getting later because we're not going to be out all night. But like, are we going to yeah. get a glimpse of sort of the nighttime scene before we Nightlife. disappear in amongst the other daywalkers? Sure. So actually, at, yes, as you are walking back, you notice. So the traffic isn't. It it's not really more or less, but it's more open so in the during the daytime everyone moving about was very covered as it gets into the nighttime you see a lot more folks who are not covered so you are now seeing more darakul you are seeing lots of gnolls you are seeing um you see some you spot an uh, you spot a legit vampire eleanor and not like it doesn't, and they, they don't look like one of the recently turned ones that are just hungrily looking about for their next thing. They look comfortable and they look strong and they are, they look like they're going about business. 
I like really there's a part of Eleanor that just like wants to go like I don't know talk to them again it's a very small weird pulling sensation <laughs> of curiosity and just like I, I want to know the power dynamics in the city I want to know who's in charge what is what's going on you do see a group uh you do see a few groups of humans but they're all in groups like like at least five people and most of them look like gangs they look armed they look tough and they look like they're trying to they look like they're trying to be a bit like brazen like kind of proving Mm -hmm. something but they're all in groups you never you have never seen a single human that was obviously like showing they are human moving around by themselves Oh, and then the, you also saw one one cat folk. You haven't seen too many of them, but they're here. You do see a raven folk or two around, which you've not seen many of in your travels. They're unusual. Mm. Cool. As varied as the other cities you've been to are, this is a whole new level of variety. Yeah. So I'm I'm really curious about the whole like shrouded in daylight even given the cloud cover like how sensitive and comfortable these sort of more nocturnal races must be and kind of what the overall effect is energetically because i feel like part of what mira is um observing is where so far our sort of human living status um, has be has been a vulnerability since we walked in the door, and I'm wondering if there's any way that we could use our strengths to our advantage, and anything that we may have over the more daylight sensitive. Because um, I imagine these aren't like all like dead raven folk and dead cat folk. Mm-hmm. Like these are just like people who live in this city, but like aren't all, you know ghoulish versions of their living oh yeah 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 no for sure they're they're definitely live yeah okay it's just interesting yeah we can withstand the power of the sun and maybe those who would wish us harm cannot i think the problem is that what any is that there is no power of the sun in this city i'm just saying like in general just like where we find strength and where others who mean to cause us harm might be vulnerable too. Hmm. I think you will find that this city doesn't play into that power dynamic very well, which is why this city exists. Mira feels completely disarmed. (laughs) Yes, you should. (laughs) All right. So you make it back to your inn. You do notice that um, next door to your inn there uh, to your, your, your place, there's a, uh, a little street band has set themselves up and they are, they are human. They are all sitting underneath the little canopy of their building. And there's all, they've got a whole bunch of lamps kind of with them. And, but they're playing, uh, there's a, there's uh, um, a lady on drums. There's a man playing a guitar. There's a girl with a tambourine. There's a boy with a, playing a um, something like a fiddle. It's a little different, but it's fiddle-like. 
Uh, and he's really good for being like a 10 year old kid. Um, and this little family ish band is really fun. So it brings some life to the streets as you head back to your, to your lodgings. Can we hear them from our room? Oh yes. Okay. It's muted because yeah. you don't have a window because this room is bad, but <laughs> you can still vaguely hear them. Welcome to Paranu.